Alrighty, we are back. Your favorite podcast show of the week. It is Location Weekly. It's episode number 535, and we are recording live on September the 21st. Yes, it's almost fall. We're kind of, you know, the weather's changing up here, at least in Toronto, getting a little bit cooler. It's still like 21, 22 Celsius here, so not too bad. Uh, but it's it's definitely, you can see the leaves starting to turn. How's things for you, Abriana? Yeah, I would say the same's happening like in the mornings and in the evenings. It's that nice, crisp, um, little bit of, you know, coolness. That's just, you like want to sit outside and have your coffee in the morning. It's wonderful. Uh, but during the day, it's definitely still getting warm, yeah. which is okay. You know, I know it's going to be a tough winter for me coming from Atlanta. So I like, I'm okay kind of easing into uh, the cold yeah. weather, but I do love fall. So I'm excited for that. Um, and up here, I know it's going to be beautiful, but yeah, like things are busy. Things are good. Um, you know, settling in planning a four-year-old birthday party, not, never, never a dull day, you know, <laughs> staying busy with work, that, that thing that, uh, that keeps us going as well. So yeah. How about you? What's new? Yeah, yeah. Same. Like just, you know, work is crazy busy right now. Uh, kids are, you know, fully into school and yeah, just hanging on, you know, for, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, last little bits here of this playoff race with my Blue Jays, you know, we'll see. <sighs> I don't know. It, it's, it's a struggle. It's like they win one, they lose one there, but they're still in the currently holding the last wild card. We'll see. Yeah. It sounds um, exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow. All right, we have a good show for you. Four stories as usual. An interesting array of uh, brands and companies we're talking about this week. I'll let Ariana start us off. All right. This is, uh, you know, this is cool. We've seen so many virtual and digital experiences that have, you know, it was a trend and kind of um, happening before the pandemic and obviously the pandemic and people staying home and doing things remotely has just expanded on this. Um, area so much and Amazon has continued um, to kind of amplify their explore offering. So if you're an Amazon customer, check this out um, or, you know, just search Amazon explore. And now you can book these small live group experiences. You can do that with up to seven people. Um, so it's an expansion of this initiative that they had launched about a, you know, a year ago during the pandemic. And there's all of these different one-on-one -on -one experiences or group experiences around the world that you can do virtually, which is really cool. So you can discover these destinations um, alongside of other people who maybe have similar interests as you, or you can do um, a more one-on-one -on -one and have like this curated experience slightly where you're having everything, um, you know, the ability to shop on the way in like a local village, for example. Um, you kind of get to like see, taste, you know, and, and shop around the world. With these tour guides, you can actually even sign up to be a tour guide. You know, if you have something really interesting in your area that you know a lot about and you're an expert, uh, definitely check that out. But you know, some I uh, some of the options that they have that they shared were like you know having um, a, an empanada lesson from Buenos Aires and uh, maybe a Mexican coffee less lesson, um, not like from this family roaster, showing how they do that. Um, you know, virtual cocktail classes from different areas, all, all these different, uh, you know, very cool experiences that you can have. 
Um, and you know, these sessions last between half an hour and an hour, and you can actually take photos through your Amazon account that you can save um, as if you were really, really there. Um, this kind of reminded me of the, the Airbnb experiences, right? Like you book your Airbnb to stay and then you find a local tour guide and you have this experience while you're there, um, you know, except obviously virtual. And I think this is really fun. It made me think, oh, this is a great gift idea. Like, what do you get for your parents, you know, when they have everything that they need and they don't need any more gadgets or whatnot? And this, this I was like, oh, good. They even have gift cards there. So you could do, you know, a family experience where you could all get on your computers and experience something together, which would be really cool. Um, and, you know, we're, we're seeing more of this happen even as like the fun holidays come in, right? You've got um, like the, the Halloween haunted houses, you know, Black Friday, Santa Claus, all of those different things that are that are on their way. Um, you know, some people are, are okay with doing some things in, you know, physical in, you know, in person, but other people want to have that space or, you know, just for, for the convenience factor, just being able to jump onto your computer rather than jumping in your car and going somewhere. Um, so those like trips, concerts, all those things. And they're starting at $14 for the group experiences, which is a pretty great deal, you know? I think it sounds fun. I really like the idea of seeing like the coffee roasters um, or like a lesson on, you know, making something from another area of the world. I think that's super cool. Um, you know, when it comes to, you know, maybe like a haunted house, probably not as much as exciting for me personally, but um, I think this is fun. Like I like, I like the idea of having a, a really quick trip, you know, that you can take on a monthly basis without even having to buy a plane ticket um, around the world. So I love the experiential factor. I think that um, the price point is great. Um, yeah, and I think this is gonna continue to grow. They've got, let's see, um, 450 immersive experiences, seven categories and 21 different spots around the world. So what do you think? I like it. I, I think it's it's great. I think the price point is amazing. I think that the timing, you know, around doing this as we go into holiday seasons of, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas and, you know, gift giving and whatnot, I think it's a it's you know, it's a reasonable thing. And as you say, like there's a lot of people, you know, at least in my world, you know, like parents that you you've mentioned that, you know, what do they need? Like they don't need more clothes. They don't need more, you know, whatever, you know, like something that's different, something that's unique. Um, like, you know, learn how to make something or learn how to do something or whatever, or experience a place, um, especially in COVID times, right? When you, it's not so easy to travel, right? Um, kind of bringing that experience, bringing that travel to where you are. I, I, I love it. I think it's, you know, sort of this virtual location-based, you know, experiential type stuff. And, and I, I, I quite like it. And um, I, that you can take photos and save those and post and, you know, all of that kind of stuff that we talk about a lot about, you know, you know amplifying and creating content and uh, sharing that content. I think it's, uh, I think it's really cool. It, it, as you were talking, I was thinking about this past weekend, I was reading an article in the newspaper about uh, uh, this this young couple here in Toronto. Um, I think they're newly married and um, they've kind of gone on this mission to basically experience food from every country in the world in the city. So Toronto is like an extremely multicultural city and there's a lot of diversity in, in people and food uh, here. And so they've identified 130 something 
restaurants that are authentic to, you know, whatever cuisine from, you know, Ethiopia or Poland or, you know, wherever. And uh, so they're on this mission to go and eat basically in their own city here in Toronto, food from every, every part of the world. Um, and, uh, you know, and share those experiences and, you know, blog and post and, and, and whatnot about that. And I think about like, okay, well, you know, maybe like even something like that plays into a platform like this, right? Where maybe I can't go necessarily and eat that food, but like even just seeing that food being prepared and the experience and what it looks like on the plate in front of me and, you know, whatever, I think even that is interesting, right? For some people, um, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I, I like the idea of this. I think, I think they're onto something here. So I'm sort of surprised like that, you know, Expedia or Groupon or, you know, somebody like that isn't, you know, sort of offering something like this at this scale. So anyhow. Kind of missed, uh, missed the boat on that one. It seems like a great opportunity to be able to do that. Right. Um, but yeah, maybe they're stuck in like the, the Kodak moment. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. All right. On to our second story. So today we're going to talk about Pepsi and no, we're not talking about the drinks themselves. Uh, or the beverages or the, you know, anything that they sell per se, what we're talking about is data. And they've launched a new data service called PepViz. Uh, and it's a data insights framework that is, uh, you know, for retailers that are looking to, um, you know, do some data sharing uh, with partners to help optimize store performance or product performance at, at sh on shelves and so on. And, you know, obviously Pepsi and any company like this, you know, they have a lot of data, they have a lot of POS data, they have a lot of location data, they have a lot of, you know, just data period, right? And I think they've basically said, hey, you know, we want to sort of start to open up this data and find ways to help our retail partners, you know, that ultimately are the ones driving our product into consumer hands. Um, you know, understand how to optimize, you know, the performance of their own stores, right? So um, they gave this one example, um, they said, where, you know, by looking, um, so, so they said that um, one merchant was looking to understand how to grow their salty category in both the number and size of stores. And they were able to examine a lookalike environment across the store profile from Pepsi, and then identified within the Pepsi uh, product suite, what they call their better for you products and and realize that that would resonate well based on these lookalikes with you know these environments and you know we're able to see an incremental lift in in sales based on just analyzing the data uh, and the performance and the locations and, and all that kind of stuff so you know I, I think i think there's something here and i remember you and i were just talking before the show about a uh, a mutual friend uh in tom daly who used to be the head of digital at Coca-Cola uh, a long time ago, uh, in the early days of the LBMA, and uh, in fact helped us launch the LBMA with you uh, in, a, in Atlanta way back when. And, um, you know, uh, I remember a conversation uh, I had with Tom. In fact, I was, we were in his car, he was giving me a ride somewhere, and, um, and he was like, you know, like, we've got so much data we're sitting on here at Coca-Cola, like, in terms of location data, in terms of, you know, the stores that sell our product, the restaurants that distribute our product, the vending machines that are all over the world that, you know, are selling our product, etc. You know, we're, you know, how can we kind of unlock this data 
to you know make it something that's useful to others and within our you know partner ecosystem and so on and and here we are you know pepsi's talking about doing just that right now and you know that's like what 10 years later from when i had that conversation probably right with uh, with tom at coke so um so i think this is interesting and i think there's a lot of you know value in retailers and and cpg companies you know sort of unlocking their data and making it sort of available to partners to sort of ultimately understand how to drive you know more sales or optimize sales or understand even which products to be developing for certain markets and geographies what are your thoughts yeah i i agree i think it's you know at out the gate it's an interesting thing that makes you step back and be like why is pepsi getting into the data company you know data business right but the reality is is right now um and, you know, tr well, traditionally for a long time, CPG companies have a really hard time uh, with data, with, um, you know, advertising for performance because it's really difficult to measure. Uh, it's very, very difficult. You can measure footfall. You can, um, you know, work through, you know, the Ibotas of the world and things of that nature. But it's very, very complicated to have all that data pass through from a point of sale perspective. Uh, back to Pepsi, you know, beyond what they're seeing from like, you know, their orders and what's coming in. So tying performance to specific marketing and advertising budget and campaigns has been traditionally very difficult. And I think that that in conjunction and coupled with the technology changes around uh, privacy, legislation, data sharing, uh, third party cookies, all of those things that are like you know, happening right now um, in this ecosystem is what is pushing for this. So it's almost like a co-op and the ability to understand what is driving performance, what is driving sales, best practices, all of those things and having that where you have the relationship that's not reliant on um, other vendors and other third parties, I think is a very powerful thing. And so I think it makes a ton of sense. Um, and I expect that more and more brands, uh, specifically CPG brands are going to be saying like, hey, I want, you know, I want in on this too. Like we have to figure out how to continue to leverage our first party data and understand more of what's happening in the retailer um, that's selling our SKUs, right? So um, I think this is super smart, it, you know, it's needed and, and my, you know, early prediction, which I'll probably reiterate at the end of the, uh, well, not the end of the year, beginning of next year will be that we're going to see a lot more of this starting to scale up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's bang on hundred uh, percent agree. So cool. cool. All right. Next story. All right. So there's a company called Visionect, um, and this is an interesting company. They have this e-paper, it's an e-paper company. So Kind of think of, um, you know, like those readers that you might have, um, you know, like a Kindle, for example, where you have that e-reading type of a screen. Um, and they are um, now adding this location element into their, their Joan offering. So um, they're based in Slovenia. And what they have is this meeting room e-paper solution or Joan. And it's a scheduling system that, you know, has all these different features like Look, booking automation, uh, safety measure integrations or help questionnaires, 
um, you know, tracking employee presence, wayfinding, all those different things. So, you know, think of these little screens being outside of all the meeting rooms and different areas in an office, you know, larger campuses, being able to find things, book conference rooms, all of that. Well, now they've added this new uh, feature, which is really cool. They've added something called smart magnets. Um, and so these will attach to any of the services that have the Jones 6 Pro. And so now these e-paper screens can be relocated um, and they just seamlessly reconfigure wherever they are. So, you know, you take one screen off of this meeting room and you take it to another meeting room. And when it attaches to that magnet uh, outside of the new meeting room, it's automatically reconfigured with the information for that meeting room. Um, there's no like additional setup time or costs. It's just automatically doing that through these smart magnets based on the location. Um, so I think this is really cool. You know, these devices can be tracked. They can also, you know, have this, they have like a six month battery life. So when you think about why not, you know, use just a standard tablet or an iPad or something like that. And, and the reason why is like the battery drain, you don't need all those features and functionality for something like this. You know, you need some standard things. Um, you know, so there's a lot of reasons like that. Are, these are better options. I'm assuming they're also a, a much better price point. So I think this is, you know, it's not like, wow, this is a mind blowing thing. But what I what I love is that, you know, sometimes we have like these extremes, um, you know, when, when new technology comes out. Right. So you think about when GPS first started, you know, it was either a disc that was in the manufacturer's car. Then you had like the actual Garmin device. And then now it's just everybody just uses their phone because it's automatically updated. You've got the crowd, the, the crowdsourcing, you know, of um, all that information coming in. And people have realized, like, I don't need a separate device for this thing. I have it already baked in. And the same thing with, like, this type of technology, right? We had these really robust, like, tablets that have all this connectivity that have the capacity to work, like, computers, right? And we don't need all of that functionality for something like this. And then you add in the ease of use and just like the location um, interoperability, I think is, is really powerful for like large campuses or schools or, you know, anything that you want to kind of meet and track. And then you think about the, um, the Canatrace aspect, right? So like the meeting questionnaires on like health screening before you enter a room, um, and just having everything baked into that one e-paper option, I think is, is, uh, really cool. Not like I'm so excited about this. It's meeting room technology, but, um, I think that it is practical and applicable to, you know, a lot of these larger campuses that have, uh, the yeah. need to have key functionality. So. Yeah. I, 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 sometimes, you know, simple is the coolest, right? Like, and, and that's what I love about this is that you can just move these around they can reconfigure on the fly based on the location. You know, as you were talking, the one kind of use case that popped into my mind, I was thinking hospitals. Uh, I was thinking like, you know, people are moved from one room to another room, equipment's moved from one room to another room, you know, um, and like even just like you're going to visit somebody that's in the hospital, right? Like what room are they in? And like, you know, the name outside the door and all that kind of stuff. like. You know, I think there's a ton of potential in that type of environment, right? Like within healthcare. Um, so that to me is super interesting. So I, I totally get the office use case, you know, meeting room experience, but I think there's a, you know, a big market here potentially within, uh, within the healthcare and specifically the hospital setting. Yeah. Healthcare, education, anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Very cool. Vision Act out of Slo Slovenia. 
Love it. All right, final story, kind of coming into COVID uh, world here. You know, uh, COVID's not gone, right? It's still, uh, we're seeing a lot of flare-ups um, in different parts of the world, uh, and specifically even countries like Australia that seem to have it all under control, you know, have, have seen a, a recent uh, resurgence. And so the Australian uh, New South Wales government is testing, doing a pilot right now, um, using geolocation and facial recognition technology uh, for quarantine. So um, if you uh, sort of come into the country and you're required to do um, a seven-day home-based quarantine, uh, they have a pilot running right now with 175 people. And so there's this app that they've built and it uses geolocation and facial recognition technology to monitor whether that person uh, is following and complying with the state's quarantine rules. Um, so basically, through the app, it also provides a testing schedule and a symptom checker for contact tracing purposes and things like that. Uh, but basically, you know, it's 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 checking your location and it's checking you know where you are and using facial recognition to make sure that you're the right actual person and all that kind of stuff. You're not trying to get around the system. And so I think this is interesting, right? I mean. You know, obviously, we've seen this type of thing in China and and different, you know, uh, markets like that. But you know, in in sort of the G seven, you know, sort of you know, democratic, uh, you know, uh, world uh, of com companies or countries like Australia and the U.S. and Canada and you know, Britain and so on, we typically don't see this kind of implementation of technology that you know people would generally say is quite invasive right um and yet i think um you know australia has been you know at the forefront of trying to control you know sort of the the case counts around COVID. i mean they you know they had one of the lowest case counts you know for the longest time they still have one of the lowest case counts uh anywhere in the world you know like they're they're they very much have been like hey if there's 10 new cases we're in lockdown Right. I mean, like that's kind of the approach that they they've taken. Right. And uh, and so I, I'm not all that surprised that they're trying to test and experiment with new technologies, um, you know, but I, I am a little bit, uh, you know, interested, I guess would be the best word to say. I want I, like I, I'm going to be looking to see how this study goes and, and what the reaction is from, you know, both the 175 people who are using it as well as the, the general population. I'm, I'm interested to learn um kind of what the uh what the response is around this so um yeah and, and i think you know like just speaking from personal experience here in canada like we we've had until recently we've had a you know if you were coming from out of country this is all relaxed now but there was a 14-day quarantine here um at one point you had to actually quarantine within a government hotel at near the airport uh, for a period of time until you, you know, got two negative tests and then you were released uh, to kind of go and finish your quarantine at home. Um, you know, so, um, you know, that's not the case here at the moment, but, you know, I, I think it's interesting because people, you know, were obviously trying to get around those rules. People were, you know, trying to, you know, uh, say they were quarantining at home when they actually were, you know, just back at work or in the office or wherever. And um, so, so I, I think it's it, it's quite interesting to see that they're using location tech and they're using facial recognition to sort of verify that people are actually doing what they say they're doing and following the rules. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, you know where I'm going to go. Let's. You already started to go there. Was like this. Is 
similar to China. And we talk about the cloud scores and pulling all of that data in. Um, yeah, to me, this is a no. I think that if we are concerned about, you know, big tech companies having facial recognition and using that, then we should be equally concerned about government having that those capabilities. Um, you know, I I understand that this is for something that is good. You know, there are other options. We have talked about the you know the tracing that is done. That's that's all anonymous tracing and and all of that. And I opt in to do that. That's fine. Um, I'm okay with that. You know, but when it comes to facial recognition and like following somebody, I think that that's. For me, that's like a hard no. And I feel like that's also a, a slippery slope. Like you you open the door for one thing that's health related and then everything else is health related, but then it's really just controlling. Um, so, you know, I'm all for like keeping people safe, you know, doing my part. But uh, yeah, to me, this is like, a, this is just a step like far, far, far in the wrong direction. Um, so yeah, you, you knew where I was going with that. I'm, I, I'm, I knew where you're going and, and I don't disagree. Like I, I, I think, you know, there, there's a fine line there right between public health and safety um, and everybody doing, you know, the right thing. Um, and, you know, sort of going over that line to, you know, now we're, we're you know, we're monitoring and tracking. And I think, you know, you could, you could make the argument like they are, or at least, you know, testing to see how this works with something like COVID and we're trying to, you know, control cases, but the risk is there, right? Once you open that door, as you said, right? Like that, what else is this going to be used for? Illegal immigration, you know, all sorts of other things that come to mind, right? So, um, speeding, jaywalking, yeah, so, everything, um, name it, it's there. Yeah. So it, it's interesting. And, uh, yeah, I, I, I will be, you know, searching and, and, and inquiring as to the outcomes of this, this pilot. So maybe I'll have something to share about that in, uh, in another month or so. So let's, let's see where it goes. Yeah. Sure. So that's it. That's our show for this week. Uh, you've been listening and watching episode number 535 of Location Weekly. We thank you as always for your time. Um, and uh, yeah, if you have story ideas, reach out, um, send us a note, send us some feedback, um, you know, like give us some likes on whatever platform uh you're consuming this on and uh we just thank you for your time we'll be back next week with another show and another set of great stories from our industry have a great week everybody bye bye